0: Welcome once again to the Inside LFC Max and Vince podcast. We're, we're changing the name a little bit, so I still include the old name, the new name, but we have a little blend until that moment arrives officially. But I'm Max. Vince, hello. How's it going?
1: Max, the name's been changed for like a year. I don't think you're ever <laughs> going to get it. But uh, Do I have to I call it
0: Inside LAFC? It?
1: You don't have to call it Inside LFC. We are part of Inside LFC, but this is the Max and Vince podcast. Um, I'm happy to be talking to you, Max. I'm happy. I'm excited for the guests that you're going to bring on in a second. Uh, I just want to say uh, I am happy to be back talking. I think uh, everyone understands that we did not have a podcast last week um, for the very reason that you know a lot of people's attention spans are being vied for. And, and in what happened last week and what was going on, uh, I did not think, and Max, you were with me, we did not think that we needed to be part of that ecosystem at that time because there was more important voices. So. Uh, I'm excited to come back, um, and we're going to talk about some of the things that went on, uh, but I just wanted to give kind of put that out there for everybody.
0: Very well said. Yeah, it was unanimous through the the uh, the club about what we should do content-wise, and uh, we stood down across the board, and for all of ne- last week, we stood and listened, and it was an important time to soak as much information as we could. Uh, it was a, a week that I'm 48. Uh, I can't... I can't remember a more significant week. Uh, I mean, we think of 9-11, but a significant week that will change this country moving forward. And for everyone who was so active and seizing this opportunity and not letting go, it was an, an eye-opening experience for me to see one protest lead to the next. And the protests continue today and uh, ho- holding people accountable and keeping that message for it and, the, and the, the conversation, the dialogue's going on. And that's why we're going to be here today, joined by a man who is now joining this podcast for the second time. And uh, the, the tenor is going to be a little different, but we should remind everyone when we had him the first time, I think it was our most successful pod. Is that accurate?
1: And that, that is accurate. He's okay. us a second time, so he must actually like us. So he can't, yes, actually, he, likes it. he can't duck that.
0: He's a wonderful guy. And I miss going to the Performance Center and having uh, conversations with him. He's always so real with me. He, uh, he gives us information and tells us about his incredible experiences within this league, which is just fascinating for me. Well, without further ado, let's welcome in Will Kuntz, the uh, uh, vice president, also assistant general manager for LAFC involved in everything the club does with player acquisitions to the actual game experiences. Will has a big piece in all of that coming from New York as well, Will. So uh, I know we have a lot of experiences we're going to delve into, but we also wanted to talk to you and we'll get into this a bit about a conversation we had within the club, which I told Vince was uh, best hour and a half, two hours. I have had in this entire process and it was because of the, the way you were able to communicate it. So thanks again for joining us and we look forward to the conversation we're about to have.
2: Uh, gentlemen, thanks for having me. It's uh, a shame we can't do this in
0: person, but
2: it is great to see you guys.
0: Uh, let's, I'll get started. I want to talk about you a little bit. So I, I spoke to Vince and I said, Will's going to be great when we talk about uh, racism, and uh, the black athlete within sports. And we're in soccer. It plays its role. But you were a basketball player. You worked for the New York Yankees. You have seen the width and breadth of how racism uh, rears its ugly head in sports. So let's go back to when you were younger and uh, maybe experiences that you saw that you knew that this was a problem that we couldn't kick down the road, we had to address as soon as possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my – my background growing up in in new york city coming from brooklyn and the you know, growing up in the early 90s late 80s um you know you start to see a real shift uh just in the way sort of new york was policed and you know part of that was you know under giuliani and sort of saying hey we got to clean up times square and and to be fair if you talk to somebody from you know who's around before the mid-90s you ask them about times square it was a very different experience. You know, there were a lot of people going to Times Square, but they weren't going to the American doll factory and they weren't going to the Disney store. And, uh, you know, you could sort of see how you got from the one Times Square to the other one. Um, So, you know, growing up uh, as a black man in New York, you know, my father uh, was sort of always very consistent about making sure that I knew, you know, I was going to be a bigger target for police. Mm -hmm. um, You know, make sure you're respectful don't say anything out of line. They're going to come after you because you're tall and because you're black. And so, you know, it's something that sort of, um, you know, I think intrinsically you sort of grow up with in New York, having in the back of your mind, Uh, you know, the good thing about New York is that because it is so diverse, uh, I think, you know, a lot of the tension you maybe have in other places that are a little more homogenous doesn't necessarily exist because you get to see and interact with more people who don't necessarily look like you sound like you, Um, come from the same background Uh, that's not to say there aren't a lot of places in new york and still aren't a lot of places in new york um, that have you know particularly problematic views uh, about race but um, i think it's something you just like i said it's sort of part of who you are growing up Um, you know and and playing basketball in new york you know i played au ball it's uh you end up going to all parts of the, the city right and some parts are sort of you know, right smack in downtown or midtown Manhattan, which sort of looked like New York everybody knows. But then, you know, you're going out to Canarsie, you're going all the way out to Hempstead in Queens, you're going up to Ford and Road in the Bronx, and so one of the things I really appreciate about basketball is that it it helped you know our team get out and see different parts of the city, and you're playing with people who come from you know completely different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, and you know when we talk about sport, whether it's uh, basketball, baseball, or or you know football proper football. Uh, that I think is a, a huge piece of it, right? It's the ability for people to come together and say, I care less about, you know, where you come from than, than who you are and, and how much I can count on you.
1: I'm not big on, on English sayings, but proper football has got to be one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, Will as, as Max uh, alluded to, you were, uh, uh, an NCAA athlete. Uh, then you move on to the Yankees. Uh, and then the league office, and then soccer. And I'm curious in you know being an athlete, going from baseball to soccer. Uh, we talk about how you know a lot of people maybe are, hopefully not finding about out about this problem right now, but they are. Um, and this has clearly been something that's been going on for a long time. And and it's it's about respecting something that that that's been there forever. And maybe now you're just finding out about it, but you need to go back and, and look at the history. Has there been I don't know, a through line for you between different organizations and kind of your experiences on how they deal with um, with racism and with uh, with these these types of issues?
2: Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I called it a through line, but you sort of, in, in every place that you are, you see, um, you know, different trappings of racism or different sort of vestiges of, of maybe things that have gone on in the past. So I think, you know, I'll take, you know, college sports and sort of, uh, you know a lot of the conversations going around around the NCAA especially now right it's talking about um, you know finding ways for NCAA athletes irrespective of race to sort of profit off the use of their likeness you know profit off the fact that the NCAA generates massive amounts of money you know particularly between basketball college football um, and you know i i do think that there is a piece of that that you know and if you guys have watched uh, any of those you know fab 5 documentaries you know, and you and i think Jalen Rose and Juwan Howard and, and Chris Weber, they were sort of very attuned to it, but sort of saying, hey, listen, like we're we're being exploited, right? And so I think even um, in sort of the understanding of college athleticism, that exploitation is, uh, you know, somewhat representative or, or, you know, like I say, kind of a, a vestige of, of what you have in terms of, of racial issues going back. I think in baseball, um, you know, it's funny. I think in a lot of ways, baseball is sort of the ultimate, uh, reflection of America, you know, I, I called it a mirror earlier, um, but you think about, you know, integration, right? Uh, baseball was integrating before anybody else was right. You think about, um, amphetamine use and performance enhancing, uh, drugs, right. And, and sort of what they reflected in terms of society's use of, uh, narcotics and, and performance enhancing substances, you know, that can include things like, uh, you know, human growth hormone for, uh, celebrities, right and performance enhancing for performance enhancing drugs for celebrities so i think you know in a lot of ways you see things that are um, you know very reflective of the moment we're at uh, in america in baseball you know uh, certainly uh, when i was there in baseball there were real conversations about declining black participation um, you know and, and i say black I, I mean american black as opposed to sort of, you know uh, caribbean black or central american black um, And you know a lot of hard conversations to be had about it. You know, today one of the things that that I felt very strongly about when I left, and it's it's still true today, is you know there are so few black catchers in baseball, right? Um, And if you think about it, catcher is the most important position defensively, right? You're you're calling the game for the pitcher. You have to know every opposing team's hitter, their tendencies. You have to know uh, not just every one of your pitchers, but you have to know how they're doing in a given moment, right? And you know, you might have a game plan that says, "Hey, we're going to start with Max, and then hopefully bring in Vince to close." But all of a sudden, things go sideways out of the gate, and you got to bring in uh, somebody else, right? And and just the fact that you don't see American black men catching in professional baseball, you know, I, I think it's indicative. I, I would sort of liken it to, um, you know, quarterbacks in college and uh, professional American football, you know, in the '80s, '90s. Again, like when I was growing up, you had uh, Warren Moon. Randall Cunningham, right, and and Doug williams she could count them all on on three fingers—and so now it's not even something that we even think about, right? So uh, I am uh, sort of buoyed by the the prospect that that we're making progress, but that's just one area where I think it's an an easy way to look around and say, hey, this is you know this is so unreflective of where we are societally that that maybe something's here, right? And that's not to say that baseball itself is a racist industry. I just think it's something that nobody really thought about, right? And when I raised it with certain people uh, during my time there, you know it's hard to be challenged and to have to to think about the implications of of what the current moment means. Um, And then, of course, you know, moving into uh, our football, you know, it's so international, it's so global, that teams from all over the world are made up of players from, uh, you know, different walks of life. So even within races, right, you can have uh, you know, Ghanaians are not the same thing as Senegalese, right? Um, Czechs are not the same things as Romanians. And so you have uh, a lot of different nuance and a lot of different experiences and, and background and nationalities that play into it as well. And so in a lot of ways, I think, you know, in, in football, we're more attuned to these differences and being open, but, you know, there's a lot of conversation now. Raheem Sterling has been really outspoken recently about you know the lack of black managers in football right and and again that's one of those areas where well we have x number of black players you know present or retired and that's not reflecting in in sort of the coaching ranks and so i think in all these ways it's not to say that anybody is out there sort of saying hey we can't have any black coaches um but you know i think one of the things that that gives people pause is well there's not a lot of what you hear is there aren't a lot of black coaching candidates out there right and when we talk about that because there aren't a lot of black coaching candidates at lower levels and then you know, these are all sort of again little things that point to um, where we are currently, but also point to what we can do and so um, you know I think in in my experience it's every stop has got a little bit of a different flavor, but it it sort of shows uh, how racism um, and segregation have sort of continued on in, in limited respects
0: it's the, the catcher and I really heard that is a, is really interesting. Uh, concept because from what I understand, a lot of if if you can get the black athlete to be a catcher, it seems like a lot of managers in baseball were catchers. Is that fair? Yeah. So that you can kind of, it kind of is a pathway to that. So I gotta tell you, well, there's so much to discuss, and I I just wanted to touch on. I don't want to go out of order, but I think it's it, it's something that hit me is one thing that I think we all have to find a way that you know there's neighborhoods, and you mentioned about the opportunity about. Playing AAU basketball and going to different neighborhoods in New York, some that weren't Midtown Manhattan, where you saw uh, the real life. And I, I even think here in Los Angeles, you know, I live in the South Bay. It's a very white affluent neighborhood. Uh, it's uh, we have predominantly black neighborhoods that are two neighborhoods across. And I always think about how do we, how do I experience their neighborhood? How do they experience my neighborhood and see something so close? is uh, where we cross these imaginary lines where we don't cross neighborhoods. I wonder if there's a good way to do that. Yeah, it's interesting.
2: And I, I, I don't say this as a criticism, so I want to be very clear. It's not, but it's an observation. You know, the, the biggest difference for me, and I was, I happened to be back in New York this past weekend. Um, you know, when you walk around in New York, well, in New York, you walk around, right? To get anywhere, you got to go somewhere on foot, right? And then most people are taking the subway because, uh, you know, trying to, to drive in New York is sort of like trying to, you know, go uh, east on the 405 after, or or sorry, east on the 10 after about three o'clock, right? Like, you're not supposed to do that.
1: (laughs) Thanks for sharing something we can all actually reference out here in California.
2: But, um, you know, so you end up having to walk. And when you walk, you really, you know, you're surrounded by thousands, if not millions of people, but you get to sort of, uh, you know, really see what they look like, hear what they sound like uh, smell what they're eating. And listen, sometimes this is not always, you know, it's not always a good thing. Um, but LA, everybody's sort of in their cars, you know, and I, I know when I got to LA for the first couple of months, I, there were days where I'm like, man, I got, you know, I left my apartment, got in the elevator, went down to the garage, drove to the office, came back, took the elevator up. And, and that was my day. I, I, everybody I passed is, is in their car. Right. And so you don't have that same, um, I don't want to call it demystification, but you don't have that same sort of uh, just repeated uh, viewing experience of, of different people. And I think it's a little bit, you know, Max, to your point, you have to sort of search it out a little bit more in Los Angeles, right? And and everything in Los Angeles because of traffic is so uh, neighborhood and location driven. But you know, since you asked, and again, this may be going out of order a little bit, but uh, you know, we at LAFC have a working group that's really focused on ways in which you know, we LAFC can go out uh, into communities that we we haven't been uh, sort of present in to date, right? And that's not just Black communities, but it certainly is. You know, you look at the Ninth District is right outside of our stadium. That's a, a a perfect opportunity, right? But we need to get out there and and be seen, and more importantly, listen and and understand what's happening in all these neighborhoods. And so, um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know it's not a problem unique to LA. It's actually probably. Uh, New York is the outlier in that sense because everybody's walking around. But I think, you know, it's it's an opportunity for us all to sort of take a step back and and examine how we can be uh, a little more open to other parts of, of LA. And I think that's true no matter where you live.
1: Well, I I picked up on on something that you said in in talking about your kind of journey through sports is you you said, it's not always obvious. And you, you said, you know, you don't feel like maybe it's overt racism, but that's, that's the thing. Right. And you're, you're an analytics guy. So when you say it's not always obvious, but then on the flip side, you look and you say, but here are the results, man. The, we don't have the right kind of representation. We don't have these things. Is that for you where, where so much of the difficulty becomes? Because the, it seems like the, the results sometimes are so separated from the system.
2: Yeah, is, that's a really interesting way to put it. I think one of the big issues you hear all the time is there aren't enough black candidates. Right. And that is what you get at the top level, right? Hey, how can we not have more managers? There aren't enough black candidates. And, you know, I know I spoke to this earlier, but it, I really think it's true. It's that um, you then have to ask why. Right. And again, be it analytics um, coaching, anything you do, you can't put it all on sort of one result. Right. But when you start to peel back uh, the layers and say, okay, well, you know, it's like this at this level. And then how about the, the next level? Well, sort of the same. And how about the level below that? And, and all this time you sort of have to check it against, you know, um, demographics playing population. And then at a certain point, you're like, man, we are now getting so far down into grassroots soccer. And there are so few or excuse, grassroots football. There's so few uh, black coaches that, um, you know, now we have to sort of be honest about what's happening. And then, you know, it's also very difficult to say, okay, how can we go out and, and attract more quality black candidates. How can we develop more black coaches? And you gotta be, um, you know, very careful because you don't want to, and I say this as a black man, you, you don't want to give somebody a job just because they are black. Right. Cause in some ways if that person's not qualified and it doesn't go well, then the narrative becomes, we tried, it didn't work. So like that initiative is over. Uh, but you, you know, you have to really sort of face hard truths. And then I, I liken it to, a, I have a friend who, uh, spent a long time with Teach for America and was in some of the, the worst schools across the country, some of the worst schools in Los Angeles, Indianapolis, uh, East New York. And one of the things I'll never forget, what he said is you know, uh, Teach for America is so focused on, and I'm, I'm not taking a shots at Teach for America, this is just uh, what was related to me, but he said they're so focused on test scores and you know, they want teachers who sort of meet or sort of at that very top band of, of testing but in his reality, it's like, hey, the, the best teachers, the most effective teachers are ones who meet a certain threshold, right? So it's, I don't want to say minimum sounds like the wrong thing, but, you know, they cleared a certain bar. And maybe they weren't at the top, but they had life experience or they had a particular background or history that made them extremely well suited to be educators at a given place. And so I think it also challenges us to sort of, um, you know, reconsider what we're looking for in our coaches, right? And, and how important is a certain type of resume versus – Uh, understanding, you know, how do you want to coach? How do you interact with players? Um, You know, and and then it takes real sort of courage and vision on the part of those making hiring decisions to say, okay, this is maybe not your traditional candidate in terms of the experience or the history that we want, but we've had real conversations and we think that this is a coaching mind that will work very well for our organization. I think that's, you know, in all these different things, you have to have that kind of vision to say, what are we missing, right? What what else? You know, what what is really core to us? Um, you know, and I think Bob would say that uh, you know, what is core to us is not necessarily something you can put on paper, right? And that's why you know we struggle so much with, with these analytics conversations because you can't just reduce the game to a number, you can't just reduce uh, our style of play to uh, an algorithm, uh, but you're always sort of looking, pushing for you know who gets it, who has um, you know, the potential to grow and, and adapt, right? And, and we don't, you know, just like you guys, I think, have seen with the way we try and recruit players, right? Same thing is true of coaches and staff. We're not necessarily going to go out and say, hey, we need the best person for the job right now. You know, I think if you're saying, hey, today we need something done, who are our options? That's a very different conversation than who do we think in time, you know, with a year, two, three years at LAFC will be the best candidate, right? And so oftentimes uh, adaptability and potential you know, be it players, uh, coaches, staff, those are as important as, you know, who you are right now. And so it, it's a challenge for all of us to just make sure that we're really projecting forward and say, hey, if you've got the skill set and the ability, the character, the temperament that we value and we want to work with, then we think that this person could be, a, you know, a rock star in the future.
0: I was actually listening to Sylvester Kroom, who was uh, the first black coach and head coach in SEC. And uh, it was interesting. He was on yesterday with Paul Feinbaum, and he was saying it was it was great. But he, I, the pressure that I felt, being that, and then when it didn't go well, and he was let go, he was talking about. I don't think they've had another black coach in the SEC since. And I can't even imagine that extra layer of pressure in doing the job. So we have to eliminate. We got to get to that point where we eliminate that pressure and say, oh, it's a black coach. He didn't do well. We will. We tried. So we're going back to the traditional route. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about what when you addressed us, uh, it was very powerful. And, you know, there's a few things that stood out. I, I, one thing, just really quickly before uh, I'll, I'll ask my question, you mentioned, we're gonna talk about this group as black, not African-American. Is that, is that something for this, this moment in time? Is, is, is this, the, is this how, the, how we're gonna refer to black Americans or is African-Americans as something that is still, uh, something we're gonna use?
2: Yeah, I think there's a a couple pieces to this. So the first is, and I said this um, right with that statement in our meeting last week, is that to have this conversation in a real meaningful way, uh, nobody can get canceled, right? The the only reason we are here is because of, you know, a lack of awareness, a misalignment in terms of where we are. And I think it's easier for some people to view it one way and and other people to view where we're at in another way. So the key in all of this is to have, um, you know, the understanding that we are going to, you know, in, in getting this right, you're going to have to stumble and you're going to have to mess up. And so I thought that was really important to say, Hey, um, let's make sure that we are not afraid to have a real dialogue. You know, that's one of the benefits of the family and the culture we have at LAFC that I think everybody um, knows each other well enough. And they know me well enough that we are not, uh, you know, we mean what we say. We're not just paying lip service to it and we're going to help, Support, but that's really important to have an open, honest dialogue. Is that? And I'd say the same thing to you guys, right? We're not, we're not trying to get anybody here. It's like, hey, this is so we can understand. Um, and then the black piece of it, I think, is very important. And and you know, I I use this example, um, you know, the the problem with African American and black. Well, there's a, there's a few things. One, I say with black, it's this is really a it's an issue that we're having with uh, you know police brutality directed at Black Americans primarily. But uh, just as important, you know, this term African-American, I think, can often be sort of deemed to be sort of the politically correct, safe way to go forward. And when you think about um, our team, you know, an MLS <laughs> will post their diversity metrics and diversity uh, report, I guess you'd call it. And when they look at our team, they would say we have five African-American players. Right. And we think that's that's pretty good. That's pretty diverse. And our five African-American players are Latif Blessing, who's Ghanaian. Adama Diamande, who's Norwegian. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, who's from England. Mark Anthony Kay, who's Canadian. And Kenneth Vermeer, who's from uh, the Netherlands. And so our five African-American players, none of them are American, right? Uh, you know, if you want to be hyper-technical, only Latif is actually African from Africa. And so uh, I just wanted to call out that it's, uh, it's okay, I think, to say black because this is a black issue, but also we need to recognize how fraught the term African-American can be um, because then even in this conversation, you know, we've distinguished black from, from black American. And so, uh, you know, my point in saying that really was particularly to make sure that everybody understands this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable and let's not get hung up on the wrong parts of the conversation.
0: In fact, Vince, just to follow up and get back on what I was going to ask uh, originally, we looked at the group of people at LAFC and I would say from where I've worked much more diverse uh, employee base than most. As a Hispanic, I, I've always been taken by what LAFC has done because there was like 15 Hispanics out of the 140 people, I think, that were on there. Maybe more, 20, 25 Hispanics. At ESPN, I was one of four or in a much bigger company. And I see progress in that. But it, I think everyone has to, to look for candidates in whatever department it is, whether it's sales, whether it's content, uh, to find those candidates that are, Hispanic Asian black we I think do a good job I think other sports entities maybe not so much we still have room for improvement how do we how do we tackle that how do we how do you think is the best way to do that as you said where we we give those opportunities to people not just because they're black but because they have gone through a process and developed a good skill set where they are going to be good employees
2: yeah. I mean, it's, um, listen, there's, there's no easy, immediate answer, right? And, and you hit on the very big thing is so that when you look at, you know, just look at MLS and LAFC, we are outliers in terms of our hiring and diversity. I think we are very progressive. Um, but the conversation we had, the moment we're in, I think tells us all that we have further to go. And so, uh, you know, we have to be proud of where we're at, but understand that we need to keep pushing. And I, I am very proud that everybody's sort of, uh, adopted that, um, position, you know, as far as, you know, how do you go about it? Right. Um, again, you could set hard targets, right. And you've seen some companies in recent days say, Hey, we're going to you know 30% of all open positions are gonna go to black and Latinx, uh, you know, candidates. 50% of all open positions are going to go towards, uh, you know, diverse candidates and, and the different sort of, um, you know, categories that, that can qualify as diverse. That is certainly one way to do it. Um, you know, my personal thought on that is that sometimes targets can say, hey, like it's, it's limiting, right? So we've met our quota, right? You have the, the Rooney rule in the NFL. I think it's a very good example, right? You have to call, um, you know, a black head coach candidate before you hire anybody, right? I think MLS had a version of that as well. And I bet if you ask Robin Fraser, he got a call from everybody almost just to tick the box, right? And so, um, you know, targets are a way to sort of bootstrap things in the short term, but I think they are more sort of treating the symptom and not the, the illness, right? I think uh, to do this in a real way, what you really have to do is is take a look at our, our hiring practices, right? Um, our recruitment practices, where are we recruiting from? You know, uh, are we looking for certain types of experience? Okay, is that experience really gonna give us a diverse pool of candidates? Um, what can we do internally as LAFC to make sure that we have a pool of candidates uh, who are diverse, but you know, that we're, and that we're amassing this pool, not just when the need arises, but uh, constantly in the background so that if something comes up in 2022, we know that, hey, remember in 2020, we talked to these five candidates and thought they were very strong or my contacts at different clubs sort of forwarded on their information um, and proceed that way. Uh, you know, it's a, it requires a little more patience and a little more uh, Forethought, but I think you really have to make sure that, you know, it starts with an internal review of, of A, how are we hiring? B, you know, and that, when I say how, I just mean, you know, where are we sourcing our candidates from? B, what are we looking for? And then C, you know, what do we, what do we want to be like? And then when we say what we want to be like, and that could be, um, you know, look like, sort of uh, as a company, act like, you know, once you have an understanding of that, then you can look at the first two things and say, okay is what we're doing and where we're looking really helping us get to, to look like and be like we want to look and be.
1: One of the things that and I want to say, I want to pretense this by saying this, we bring up the meeting that we had with you, Will, because one, it was powerful within LAFC, but not to pat ourselves on the back because I, 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 just to kind of pull the curtain back, there was moments that were uncomfortable. Um, there was real talk. There was adversarial somewhat moments. Um, but I think the the biggest thing that, and the most important thing that came, maybe not the most important thing that came out from it, but was the fact that the conversation didn't end. We, we walked away from there. We didn't say we had answers. And I think I want to pretend this because my question to you is now we're, we're getting to a point where MLS is back. A lot of people want to feel excited and, and they're reserved in their excitement. I think that's fair, um, especially when you consider things like the, you know, the Montgomery bus strikes went on for almost a year you know, the the movement is not going to end. So I think that's why people are reserved. What, what's your opinion on this moment of how people want to keep the momentum, but they want to feel excited about maybe other things?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I don't think, the, the good news is I don't think uh, they're mutually exclusive, right? I think um, we can be aware and involved in what's happening across the country in terms of supporting black lives. And, and I want to be clear that this does not just, you know, it does not just start and end with Black Lives, so that that's the moment we're in. But this is a real, uh, you know, opportunity to address a lot of different issues that we have in the system. Um, but I think it's also uh, a time for us to find ways to come together, right? I mean, so much of the last two weeks, and 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 roll it back into early March, right? Just with COVID itself. COVID itself is is isolating, um, and so you know when you you're sort of isolated, and then uh, you know, sports leagues get canceled. I mean, once Tiger King, uh, ended, right. Like we really didn't have anything to, uh, to kind of keep us all all together. I guess the last dance, right. But it, it's sort of these, these rare kind of temple ESPN, Netflix moments, but, but, um, you know, sports, I do believe has a real healing power. You know, it, it is like, I called it before sports can be a mirror, but I think they also, they're the mirror that allow us to, um, come together most quickly. And so, uh, you know, I think there are, are little things we can do. For example, um, you know, look at U.S. soccer reversing its position on uh, athletes who want to take a political stand, you know, nonviolent political stand during the National Anthem, right? I think that's that's indicative of, of progress in a way in which, uh, you know, we can come together in sport and, and feel better about ourselves. Um, I think it's very important in, in all these ways that we also don't say, hey, this is a you know, the current moment's gonna be a, a one month or two month type of thing, right? And we have to know that it's not gonna be just a, a year thing. And and when the boycotts stop, there's gonna need to be continued action. And so, you know, one of the things that I was really encouraged by talking to my father, who you know grew up in the sixties in New York and then went to school in in Cambridge is um this is very this particular moment is more intergenerational than anything he's ever seen. You know, the, the 60s was really about uh, young people who wanted to sort of break the mold and say, hey, en- enough is enough, you know, and fight for their future. Now you have uh, parents taking their children to these protests, right? Um, you have older people who are very actively involved. And so I think, um, you know, that's also something that, that says, Hey, like, let's not just make this about uh, the moment. Let's not just make this about sports, but let's try and see what we can do and, you know, and make sure that we keep the pressure and the awareness up. But I, I am sort of, again, buoyed by the fact that we have uh, so much intergenerational awareness and I'm, I'm buoyed by the fact that, you know, the sport that we are in is so international and so different. And, you know, you look at the makeup of our team at LAFC and again, you know, guys, we score a goal and it's, everybody together, right? In front of the 3252 where it's everybody together. And, um, you know, we, I think are in some ways a much more visible beacon of, of what we all want to be. Uh, and you'll find, you know, in a particular neighborhood in LA or in a particular, um, you know, corporate organization anywhere. And so I think that's the real, the healing power that we have and the opportunity that we have. And I I think, you know, again, all these things dovetail very nicely. So you see that we have uh, Dio and Mark and Tristan at these protests uh, last week, right? I mean, that is powerful, right? That's, that is also a platform where we can say, hey, as, as sports executives, as athletes, as members of the LA community, we have a platform to make sure that this doesn't fade out of the public consciousness while we continue to bring people together, right? I mean, I, we can't be together maybe when that, that first game kicks off in Orlando, but man, you know, I'm going to I know that I'm going to see some people all talking to each other on Twitter and on Reddit that I haven't seen in a long time. Right. There's going to be real joy there. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we have to really lean into and embrace.
0: I wanted to ask you about protests and sports. So you, you gave somewhat of an answer there. And I, I, and I think that was the one telling thing when I see Roger Goodell coming on saying uh, we were wrong. Those are his words and U.S. soccer turning back uh, about the, uh, the protest of the flag. And this is not to say the athletes are going to protest during these sports, but to take away that, uh, any sort of punishment, any sort of backlash that would happen has to be, how significant of a step do you think is that? Because two years ago, we heard the exact opposite.
2: Yeah, I think it ties back to what I said before, you know, when we talk about what we want to do as a company at LAFC. Any step, Forward, any real progress has to begin with some honest uh, self-reflection and, and understanding where you are in the current moment, right? And I think, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> be it Colin Kaepernick, or like Megan Rapino, kneeling during the anthem. that and the response to that um, was part of where we were. And I think, you know, uh, everything that's happened in society, but sort of culminating with the murder of George Floyd, is another piece of that, right? And um, it's unfortunate that uh, you know, George, we we needed George Floyd to be killed to get to this point, but that was, you know, it, it's almost, now we can't hide from it. It's so sobering, it's so out there, and, and the reaction is so visceral that, you know, and, and credit to anybody who can stand up and say, hey, I was wrong, right? That, um, you know, US soccer will reverse its position, right? Because they acknowledge, hey, this is, this is where we are. Uh, we need to be honest about um, where we are now, what we said back then, and what those athletes were, were taking a, a big risk in dealing for, right? Um, and then it's, a, it's sort of a realignment of our, our values. Um, and so I think that is the, uh, you know, when I think about the, the interplay there, it's you, you have to, uh, you know, in some ways for me, it, it, it's all the more credit to those that protested when it wasn't popular, when it wasn't viewed as the right thing to do. But um, you know, we are in the moment now where there's acknowledgement that this is a real problem. And, and it's unfortunate we got to get to this point, but like I said, it, it all, any, any real progress begins with some self-reflection and, and accounting of where we are.
1: Well, I think this is, I mean, this is why when you've been a guest on our podcast before everyone's gravitated towards you because you've been so forthcoming and, I think we and a
0: beautiful speaker. I mean, but he's got the nice words. baritone voice, I, you know. I know, um,
1: I, but I, I think and I think that's why it was important. Maybe that, that you were the leader in, in the meeting that we're talk about because it's like you said, we, we all know you and we've been forthright and we've been open in, in conversation. So then to to peel back the veil even more and say, guys, this is going to be very difficult. We're willing though to to work with you because we know each other. We know we're a family. Uh, I think that's important. And with that, I have maybe the unenviable task of segueing us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Max was like, I pass, how I, can I pass I, the baton
0: on? I, I, I could have passed it on the last question, but I decided to give you the handoff, but I did want to know the answer to that question. because It was <laughs> no, significant.
1: And we could, honestly, we could, we could go on for ages for, for a segment. So, but we appreciate you, you know, taking the time. And, and like we said, the, the answers aren't going to be held here. Um, in these conversations, I think the best thing we can tell people is to keep having them. Yeah. Um, but to do my horrible segue. <laughs> uh, that was smooth.
2: You couldn't even see the scenes in the transition. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Uh,
1: don't worry. I'll edit this out and post. <laughs> um, Orlando, uh, the tournament, you know, I, I ca- casually kind of brought it in as saying, you know, it's a moment where we want to feel excited. So let's talk a little bit about, about the football for, for you. Um, weird to say that, like, the first thing we're going to do is a, a tournament where every game matters and it's – it's almost a world cup. I mean, how do you, how are you looking at this moment?
2: You know, first and foremost, it's, uh, I think it's just a a collective relief to be able to get back to the football. Right. Um, and partly because that, uh, gives Bob something to focus on other than just firing out texts and, 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 uh, Twitter reposts. But, um, you know, it's, it's what we're here for. It's what we're all about. And, you know, in, in every way, it is our, um, it's our mission statements, our entry into the community. It's our, you know, our statement about who we are in LA. And so it just feels great um, to, uh, to be getting back to playing. Right. And we're still working with, uh, you know, MLS has granted teams the permission to resume full training subject to local, uh, you know, ordinances and, and government regulations. So we're still working with uh, city and state officials to make sure that we can get back to full training, but um, you know we're chomping at the bit to go. Um, Orlando is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge because of the amount of time we have to get ready. Quite frankly, you know, when you think about um, when the games start, on July eighth, and and where we are now, and and what a normal preseason looks like. I mean, you guys are there every day, January and February. We're you know that that first real game is going to come. Uh, you know, at a time in the preseason where, you know, you're having your first preseason game. Right. And so, um, it's going to be, you know, and, and you're in Orlando in July, which is not the coolest place to be. Um, literally cool. You know, we're going to be playing at sort of odd times, you know, so that again, how, we'll be getting up at five thirty to They get the coffee going to, to watch those, uh, those early kickoffs. Um, and the, you know, a no fan environment will be difficult. A, uh, yeah, again, with those sort of bizarre time slots will be weird, but it's a it's an opportunity for us to just get back to do what we do. Um, you know how we how we manage it, right? What does that mean for how we want to train in the lead up, right? Making sure we don't push guys too much, but making sure that guys know um, that we got to get ready more quickly than we would in a normal uh, situation. So these are the types of things that that we've got to balance, you know, and I with five subs, that's another really interesting wrinkle too, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot of subs. Uh, um, and so now that does alter sort of our, our planning, especially for those early games, right? And so I think what you might see is um, a little more, and is not just us, but I think across the league, those first, that first game, that second game might be sort of, Hey, like, let's just, let's try and get a result here, right? Let's not maybe worry so much about um, being in in full season swing and understanding that there's going to be, uh, you know, some, some strange situations that happen by virtue of basically being, you know, in, in mid stage preseason. Um, but, you know, our guys are also extremely competitive. We've got a lot of young guys who are looking to prove themselves. And so it's going to be, uh, like I said, it's going to be a good opportunity. And then I think what you're going to see, especially in, you know, by the third game of the tournament. And then once you get into these, uh, these elimination games of the actual the knockout, uh, uh I think you'll start to see uh, increasing levels of, of competition and, uh, and intensity.
0: There's
1: going to be a lot of MLS teams that are going to find out how good that fourth and fifth guy off their bench is, right? Yeah,
0: because hey, the, the Bundesliga, I didn't think they were going to substitute that often, but I think most teams at least use four subs, even yeah. Bayern and and Dortmund. It's, if you have it, use it. I mean, yeah, if you
2: think back to games last year, I mean, if we could have had extra guys, I mean, that would have been – or extra subs, it could have made a huge difference in some games, right? And and by the same token, it could have given you know um, you know some of our opponents a big lift too, right? And so it's a it's a massive game changer, um, you know. And and you could go to guys, hey, listen, we need we need forty five minutes from you all out, and then then you're coming out, right? Which isn't necessarily something you can do in the course of a regular game because you know you got to make sure that that nobody gets hurt or that you know you've got the right number of moves to make to counter. Um, a situation you know an, an opposing situation or that you can just kind of manage the game as it comes um so it's it's definitely a different aspect to it and it's going to be uh you know it's, it's going I'm very excited to see how different coaches
0: employ it it's uh, uh, one thing I'm glad I, I think MLS when the first was announced you're like this is this is never going to go off there's so many hurdles to clear but I think you could see they they had discussions about Certain things that, in addition, obviously, to speaking with the players and their reps, but uh, more so for the tournament, I think it was like a nine, ten-week commitment for clubs. And I think that when they narrowed it down, like six, mm-hmm. that, had to be, uh, that had to be music to your guys' ears.
2: Yeah, it's listen, I mean, you know, we are also very lucky um, in that we, you know, live and, and train in Southern California, right? So we have the luxury of having our preseason at home the entire time. Right, you know, if you're in the Northeast, some parts of the Midwest, uh, it's below freezing when when January rolls around, right? So a lot of teams have to go and, and take trips somewhere, and so that's a, uh, you know, it's it's an opportunity for team bonding, but it's also time away from families, right? And you know, most teams, even if you're in a, a place with some inclement weather, what you typically do is you go away for a couple of weeks, then you come back to market for a little bit, then you go out again, then you come back. Um, you might even travel some different places, and you know, this tournament, um, again, because of you know, no fault of MLSs, it's it's a COVID reality we're living in. It's one place for an extended period of time. Uh, you're not going to be able to get out and move around. You know, one thing it was like, hey, we're in Disney and let's go down to see the electric parade and let's go over to the, you know, Mr. Toad's wild ride. But you know, this is like, hey, you get back and and,
1: Good mall rats and wait a minute, no, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride for six weeks. It's a mall rats reference. It's got to be. Um,
2: you know, and now it's like cutting loose is like I get back, I get to take my mask off. You know, and and uh, it is going to be. You know, these hotels are going to be like bubble environments, and your your movements are going to be pretty restricted. And so, I think um, the prospect of being in that type of environment for longer. Makes it even harder for those who, you know, guys always miss their families when they're gone. But this is like this is that plus, and so you know, it's a credit to the league and to the players for coming together. And you know, the league heard this was a major issue for the for the players, Um, and they shortened the amount of time of sort of preseason that was going to take place in uh, Orlando, and they said this will let teams do it in market to the extent that they're able to, and spend more time there. So that um, you know, it's it's a real thing, but again, this is a, it's a credit to the league and the players that they were able to, uh, you know, find a way to, to shorten that window.
0: I hear you. They might open some of the golf courses, the Disney golf courses. How are you going to bring the sticks? What up, Bob? Can Bob hit? He you know, some- I think, you know,
2: time spent golfing is time spent not watching. Yes. Like I told you guys last time, right? I mean, he's got the ability to watch every game all over the world. I mean, this, yeah.
0: This
1: is great. This is great for him. (laughs) He's a member. I think Bob is of the Diego Simeone um, mindset when when Diego Simeone basically told his players is like, if you're golfing, you're not playing football and you're not watching football. Don't like, don't even do it. So I I feel like Bob and Diego Simeone would get along very well in that regard.
2: Yeah. Um, aesthetics you know aesthetics of how they want to, how they want their teams to play aside i think could be uh,
1: yeah very very opposite on the other side of the spectrum <laughs> well will you you've been awesome you spent a good amount of time with us i think i want to maybe leave it here your i i talked to john and, and i tried to get some stuff out of him he was not he he's he gave me i go how are you going to approach it differently and he just said you know we go to win every tournament and obviously on a high level that's that's lfc i i've talked about it with max many times you know you you want to win all your cups you can't call yourself elite unless you try to win every single competition you're in, because that's that's part of it, the attrition that it takes, the amount of resources you have to use. Um, but for you, as someone that that prepares for these teams is pretty meticulous, what, what's one high-level thing or some inside football thing that maybe you'll be watching out for that some people might not consider in, in this kind of unprecedented tournament?
2: I, you know, I, I spoke to it earlier, I think, but I think the... Uh... The additional two subs is really going to let you see, it's going to let you see a few things. It's going to let you see, um, you know, differences in in coaching styles will emerge. Uh, The chess game, I think that people maybe aren't really clued into, uh, stands to be heightened and put a little more on Front Street. I think squad depth will be a big piece of it as well. Um, You know, you're going to have now, call it four, let's say, the most conservative managers want to keep that last sub back in case of injury or, you know, or what have you. Um, But that's four real, you know, that's that's more subs you have in a normal game that you can use to, to change a game. And and that also requires that the, you know, you have four guys in on the bench in every game that can come off and and change games in different ways. And so uh, you'll see teams uh, that have a little more balanced roster, um, not just, you know, top heavy teams, but clubs that have, stronger benches, stronger reserve players um, will, uh, will benefit, right? And I think that'll be interesting to see. And then I think, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see how individual players uh, approach these three games, right? And I, I don't say this to in any way diminish the tournament, but you know, we, we sort of look at it as, hey, it's three regular season games. Um, and then you've got – it's almost like the Open Cup. It's like an MLS-only version of the Open Cup, right, in terms of this knockout. And so, you know, at all times, you know, if I just talk about LAFC, we want to make sure that we're playing our football, you know, in our way with our principles and our intensity, right. That's, that's who we are. That's what we're about. But um, you know, there are going to be games, especially early on, like I was saying, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the first game of the preseason in a normal preseason. So making sure that we understand that it's not going to go perfectly. We're not going to be in mid season form and understanding how we can adjust to certain situations, but, You know, and and players, coaches, they can say whatever they want. Executives can say whatever they want. Once guys get on the field, I mean, this is what they do, right? This is not just – it's what we love to do, but it's what they're paid to do, right? And so once these guys get on the field, they're going to be getting after it. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think as this Orlando period – you know, progresses and we get a little bit later into the tournament. I think those those final few games of the knockout are going to be hyper intense, right? And and part of it's the guys are just raring to go. Um, you know, I know our guys, that's that's true of our guys, and we've had probably a slower burn in returning to training than, than most places, uh, which is a credit to the state of California and it's, uh, you know, health officials looking out for everybody and, and the greater good, but man, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great to have guys back and, and fighting and competing again because I think that's one thing that you really can't turn off, you know? And so am uh, not sure if I, I dodged your question, but. Uh, I knew I was it.
1: just going to get like a little bit of something and you weren't going to get, you weren't going to give it all I up think, because look, other teams hard. are going to look to us. I, I mean, I said it off the call, set pieces. I think if, if you, if you had to just look at the history of the way tournaments, these type of tournaments go uh, you, you mentioned Orlando, I think what would not to go too deep and not to keep you on the call too much longer, but one nuance is going to be, you know, we're so used to world cups and we talk about how, National teams have so little time to prepare, and that's why sometimes the football looks very different than what we're used to seeing for nine months of the season. Now we have the club teams doing the World Cup thing, but we're in Orlando. So you're going to have to be cautious about when you press. You're going to have to be, you know, like you said, keep an eye on your your guys' fitness. Um, I just think it's interesting. I, it, it could be one of the highest-level types of competitions we've ever seen, or it could be just kind of more like the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I, I think we've, you've got a little more um... – cohesion because think about it you know we were all together not that long ago right and we, we had a preseason we, we put everybody played a couple of games and so there's a little bit more of that familiarity you know teams in different capacities have been training for a good period now it's been you know we've been stuck in this individual training but um you know it's not quite the world cup of like hey we just all finished our league season and you know max and Vince just played 50 games in in 40 weeks because of uh, you know Champions League and and league competition and cup, um, so you're you're not necessarily going to have that same level of fatigue, which I think is also part of the reason that some of these World Cup games get all come down to the crazy bounce. But uh, you know, you're, you're definitely right. It's a you know a three game uh, group stage that's going to get you to the next round. That's going to involve uh, you know more attention to detail. It's going to involve bigger swings in terms of uh, you know how the ball bounces and and how individual moments affect sort of a team's overall um, trying to think about the best way to play a, a team's overall sort of mission, right? Because you know, just like in the World Cup, if you're you win the first game, and all of a sudden you're you're down in the second game, right? That, and you know, you've got a you know a monster's nation coming up in the third game. That's going to sort of impact how you you go about that second game. And so, um, yeah, I think you're right to call it out, and uh, excited to see what happens.
0: I will say this: remember. Sixteen out of twenty-six teams make the knockout stages, so uh, three ties probably get you through. So um, be careful of yeah. teams parking the bus. Not for LFC. Just I mean, I just, just say, that
2: sounds like you're telling Bob just to go for the tie. I don't know <laughs> no, no, be we, got, leery. we got to relax now. Saying that,
0: <laughs> be leery of what's gonna happen. Uh, hey, Will, yeah, that was amazing, man. It, it's it, you're really good in the way like we ask you a question, you answer three questions in your answers, and it makes our job a lot easier, but succinct and beautifully. Uh, spelled out for us. I, I, I don't wanna close on such a light thing, but I will say I used to love Mr. Toad's Wild Ride because it was so musty in there. It smelled like my grandfather's house, which I loved my time I spent with him so dearly. So I'm sorry you won't be able to experience that at Disney World.
2: You know, I feel like I just heard that story, but I've always known that story about actually <laughs> Max. Like, it just, it just <laughs> another, another piece of the puzzle falls right into place.
0: I take my son to Disney. He's like, I'm not going to Mr. Toads. I like, go, oh, come on, come on, one more time. But that was for me. It was for me.
1: That's why like we it smells love terrible Max. in there. It's yeah.
0: terrible. And it was cool in there on a hot day, which is nice.
1: That's why I love Max. He's both unpredictable, yet I feel like I, I can just read him like a book. He's just all right there in front of me. He doesn't hide anything. <laughs>
0: Well, well, best of luck with that. We'll be looking. We're getting excited. Uh, it's been a process, but I know once we see the black and gold out there playing for something and playing together, and I know it's a huge sacrifice for those players having to spend that much time in a hotel away from their families. But we appreciate everything you guys do, and best of luck out there in Orlando.
2: Thanks, gentlemen. I really appreciate the time. Uh,
0: well, there's Will Coots. We're going to keep it going. We're going to have a, a quick discussion. They just had the draw. We'll break down who LAFC is playing and what to expect in the Orlando tournament. This is the Max and Vince podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to the Max and Vince podcast. I almost said it. it again. Almost said it again. Vince, we just had the draw for MLS is back. We should mention that we spoke with Will Kuntz before the draw, so he did not know the, uh, the reaction or the results. So we're going to sh- fill you in with that. And uh, obviously, you probably know by now, but a draw that will certainly lure you in if you're an LAFC fan and lure in some of the, the neutrals as well as there were six groups drawn. This is going to be an extravaganza of games and days down there in Orlando, but LAFC in the end, Mark Rojas, a member of the 3252 was on the broadcast. And when, when they referenced El Trafico, he said, well, we don't, he he had a chance with the eyes of the world or the country to say, please, that is not the way we refer to it. That is a debate for another day. I will say this. And if the 3252 want to talk, I'm not calling it the LA Derby ever. I'm not calling it the, let's come up with something else. I just want to get that off that I will not call it the LA Derby. I will call it El Trafico before the LA Derby. I don't want to ruffle feathers, but I there's derby is a word I don't want to use in that. But then again, I'm just a, I'm just the broadcaster. It's not up to me.
1: Yeah, end of the day, I guess we go with whatever the consensus is, but we I'll both go with plan C. Well, look, we both have said, man, we are we are more than open to to rename it from El Trafico, but we would like something Give us some spice. Give us some detail of what what this is. And and maybe that's the reason why, you know, look, if you want to say LA Derby is a placeholder because we need some more time to, to flesh it out, fair that's fair to me, but I, I'm with you, man. I, I want something I want something good, I want something original. Authentic I want something and original. authentic that really means something. Uh man, they they probably didn't expect uh, expect that from Mark Rojas, huh?
0: It was a great moment, I must admit. And I respect people who get that moment and they make the most of it. And Mark did it because Susanna Collins was like, take oh, and maybe she, ref- uh, maybe she passes it on to the folks at MLS and go, hey, let's, the supporters don't like it, so maybe we should consider calling it something else. So well done, Mark, for grabbing that. And well done, Mark, for his clairvoyance to finding the best possible group, right? You want the galaxy in the group stages because you guarantee a chance to play with them. And you want to play them once in this tournament.
1: Yeah. Look, if you're an LAFC fan, and I, I did just a quick instant analysis that I put up on the website. If you're an LAFC fan and you weren't into this tournament before this draw, how can you not be now? I mean- Top two rivals in your group. Easily. And, and we've said top two rivals by a mile, right? Because three yeah. is, is just a ways off. I don't, I, don't, I mean, we did, you and I, we do our top five list. We're, we're mandated to do five. But if we could have done rivalries, we probably just would have done one and two and talked about it the whole time and just.
0: Yeah. Three to five was an issue. One and two was lock stock at two smoking barrels. Yeah. Three to, about
1: it. three to five was more like a, you know, your album, you go like, Hey, we don't really like you. Let's go. Like it wasn't, it, it, we were just, we were trying to grasp at straws a little bit there.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. But it, it, it's got you now with regards to this. I will say this, it's we, we don't have the schedule in front of us yet, but the way tournaments like this work, the first two teams in each group will open up. Third and fourth will open up, and then they'll end up playing the other teams. So, LFC Galaxy likely the opener. I will say this. You could you could look at this and say, all right, maybe it'd be good to play the Galaxy in the knockout stages. I think in a tournament like this, the Galaxy aren't playing well. They've had a lot of disarray leading up to this tournament. A lot They had to, a lot of things to clean their own house a bit. This isn't – Chicharito's not really hit it yet. Maybe that turns – but they seem like a team down and this is a chance when you can get that result and put it into the, uh, into the vaults and say, we got you again.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, the last time these two teams played when it mattered, uh, you know, who's got the bragging rights on that end. Uh, Galaxy can, they can claim their regular season record, but when we talk about matches that matter and I uh, group stage match matters, especially when you, you only have two other teams to play. We're looking for more bragging rights on what matters. And then obviously if we're going to see them a second time, then it's really going to matter. So these are these are important bragging right bragging rights matches. I mean, Portland too. We we don't like them. They knocked us out of the Open Cup. We've knocked them out of the Open Cup. Uh, there's been matches matches of consequence, right? That's the John Thorington term. There's been matches that matter, and this is a, this like you said, the best draw you could have imagined if you wanted some actual intrigue and you wanted some real matchups in this.
0: With. This game, too, you have a chance to knock them out. Two teams from each group advance, and you possibly could get a third-place team. But, the, you know, the one team we haven't mentioned is the Houston Dynamo. They're not going to roll over for anyone. – they're, they're going to be there to compete. And they're the kind of team that has enough depth, Tabramos in charge, that could help eliminate one of these teams. And I will put it this way. The hard part is getting into Orlando, going through all the logistics. But once you are there and you're playing games, you're there. This mm-hmm. is the good part. So those teams that get eliminated after the groups go back and train and watch this from afar and say, wow, we could have actually been getting four, one, two, three, four more games, which could only help us in the big picture. You don't want to be eliminated in the group after the group stages. You're already in Orlando. You might as well stay another couple of weeks and get games in.
1: Yeah, and if you're Houston – of all the teams outside of Florida, who has the most congruent weather to what you're going to actually experience in Orlando? I mean, Houston definitely is going to know what they're getting into. And that's something that even though Will didn't know the draw, we kind of talked about it. Like the weather is going to play a part, a real part. I mean, that's, they can say what they want about time windows, but that that 9 a.m. start, that, that's because of just how horrible it can get uh, in the middle of the day in Orlando. And, and But Houston trains in this, man. They're gonna they're gonna have a little bit of, I would say, an advantage in that way because they they know exactly what to expect in these months of the year. They they slog through this every year. They know exactly what it is. And ask LaFC. It seems like LaFC always goes to Houston in July. So you ask LaFC players what it's like to play in Houston in July. It's 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 rough. heat. But
0: the also the occasional really bad weather rolls in Houston, like it does to yep. Orlando. I didn't mention this with the Will Koontz interview, but it, it made me laugh a little bit when he said. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to get up at 5.30 and get our coffee. And I thought about it. I'm not an early riser. Not at all. Nope. But I realized he isn't either because I think 5.30 is the going rate for most of those guys. And he's like, he goes, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get up at 6.30. I'll stay up a little bit later. That's how I view things. I yeah. get my stuff done. But I, I, I did enjoy that because I was 5.30. Wait a minute. Yeah. But uh, most people are getting up at 5.30.
1: Well, the Max and Vince wake up call is at 5.55. That's, that's, the time. <laughs> that's the time that they're going to bring us out of bed. Hey, look, if, if we do anything fun with this tournament, and I hope we do, you and I will do some something around the fans or something. Um, don't be surprised if you see Max and I just wrapped up in a blanket, especially for those 6 a.m. games, man. I'm going to
0: try and watch 4D games. Obviously, the LAFC games. We'll see how many of the others. I think that's a good target. I may not meet it, but that's a lot of games to watch. But you've got to get up. and And with regards to media – it should be mentioned that very little, very few media members are going to be down there. This is a tournament where they want as few people on the facilities. There's a dollar sign attached to it. So every, every producer or writer or every newspaper sends somebody there. They have to, they ha- they're on the hook to pay for those, whatever, 20, 30 days at a hotel on Orlando. So it's very limited. So I think a lot of people say, just cover it from afar. I, and I think uh, you'll get as good a coverage with me and Vince than anyone else. There you go.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll be, it's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be an interesting um, kind of way, test of how you can cover your team from afar and what kind of things you can do. I'm excited to see MLS has already promised us that the way that they cover the games in-game um, or in-stadium, when it's not really a stadium, but is going to be very different. Um, we're going to get some different things. I, I don't think they're going to pipe in crowd noise because that doesn't really make sense when there's no, there's no stadium like it's one thing to do it inside stadiums but it's another when you know we see these kind of wide open pitches that maybe you're used to if you watch like youth international games um yeah man there's going to be some fun things i'm just i'm still just taken aback by the fact that like there's there's no easy games in this group and this is this is going to be a group that there's animosity man and like will said once these guys get going this is what they do man this is what they're there for they compete And then when you think that there's that little bit of extra edge between Portland and the galaxy, no difference to Houston. We've had some good games with them, but man, it's going to be, I I just, like I said, I, if you were not excited for this tournament going in that draw and we're still calling it a draw, right, Max? Yes. Was it draw?
0: (laughs) It was It was compromised a little bit (laughs) at the beginning.
1: Interesting draw. I wouldn't say that that's the way I would have done it. Um, but after that draw, man, you, you gotta be locked in. I mean, the, especially if Galaxy LAFC is game one, Houston, maybe in the middle and then Portland around it out. I'm, I'm all about it.
0: You mentioned the weather uh, and how it could favor a team like Houston, but what about some of these Northern teams? And we've addressed it, that a lot of these clubs, I know DC United, I just love Red Bulls. They, they preseason in Florida or mm-hmm. somewhere warm to get ready for the season. They, They could probably mimic that experience with this and kind of, guys, this is is what we do. We come here, we're in a hotel together. uh, We go to practice. We come back to the hotel. We go to the game. So it's kind of something that they can mirror a bit to get that familiarity, at least for the beginnings. I think as we go on, teams will realize what they're in for. I think players that participated in a World Cup will have a little bit of an advantage as well because of the nature of the tournament.
1: Yeah, they'll know how how you kind of, have to acclimate your body. How you have to save yourself, maybe for other aspects, and that's something Will brought up too. Was you play in one game and maybe you get a win, and then you're losing in your next game, knowing the third game is you maybe a tougher opponent, and you have to, you know, prepare accordingly. Uh, you know, this is not rocket science. There's two. It's a twofold problem, right? There's a mentality aspect to it, which is I think what we're talking about in terms of uh, the weather and just being able to kind of get over that mental hump. I remember talking to a lot of guys when they when we would play in hot conditions like Dallas, like like Orlando, they'd say there's just those moments where like the ball will go out of play and there'll be a corner kick and your mind just wants to turn you off. It wants to say, hey, let's get out of here. Let's go find air conditioning. And that little bit of lack of focus can be the difference, especially in a tournament we're saying where, you know, set pieces could become a big, big factor. You know, you, you lose a guy for half a second. That's a goal maybe you can't come back from. I'd say the flip side is like if you're a team like Red Bull, and you're based off pressing, like your whole ethos, your DNA is pressing, you're now going to have to find moments where, man, it doesn't, it's not mentality at this point. It's the sheer physical exhaustion and the ability to actually push yourself through that. And they're going to have to be smart. Like Bob always says with LAFC, we have to find moments to when it's the right time to press. We have to find moments when it's the right time to, to go quick. And then sometimes you have to know, hey, I've got to slow it down here. We got to set back. We got to set traps. So, you, so I think what we're going to see is the attention to detail is going to be so important. And then the focus on being dynamic, being able to weather some things at times and then being able to go fast when you have it and have that, have that in the tank. So you're going to have to have smart players that know I can do this now and I can save myself for this moment. And they got to, they got to seize on those moments. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we're going to, we're going to get from this tournament. And I hope, you know, I hope, like I said, because teams are more familiar with each other than national teams and, like Will said, because it's not coming at the end of a season, uh, it creates that much more of an environment where teams really, really go for it. And it's not kind of that, you know, World Cup football can be kind of station to station. Yes. Good boy reference. And
0: the unfamiliarity also comes into view where you got these styles are so different that no one's budging. And it's the World Cup, so you don't care. But here you do. So you do want that to be replaced with quality play, which I think there's an opportunity because of that familiarity.
1: Well, if you have five substitutions and you don't know your team very well, those five substitutions, what's the point, right? But at least these coaches, hopefully they know their bench pretty well. Um, I would say that LAFC to start any season seems to have a, a little bit of a leg up because they know themselves so well. They know their philosophy so well. It's really ingrained in them. And then a lot of this group is, is holdovers. Um, we talk about continuity as being almost a, a, an added transfer value by keeping guys and keeping the, the core. Um, they go in and 30 minutes into a game, they're not thinking, okay, what did the coach tell me here? What are we supposed to be doing at this moment? Whereas other teams, they're still going through those steps, man. After two matches and then four months off, they're still definitely going through those steps.
0: We've given you a lot of data, but it's impossible to predict what's going to happen in this tournament. It leads towards everything we said, that LAFC will have a successful tournament from the depth. I mean, they're too deep. We haven't seen Bradley Wright. Phillips, He'll get around. Dio's healthy. And we've seen that in the midfield and, and starting to develop as well on the defensive end. Uh, two goalkeepers, which you can rely on, which is good. So, mm-hmm. But with all of that, let's talk about what the expectations should be. I think it would be disappointing if they didn't get out of the group stages. So You
1: have to get, You absolutely have to get out of the group stage. I, I think if you get four,
0: if you get five games, you're happy. Mm-hmm. If you get seven and win, it's great. But I think if you can get there, get to the quarterfinals, and say, all right, we're good now, let's focus on uh, – the, the task, the more important task, which is the regular season, and that is certainly a line that I think will be uh, repeated from Major League Soccer. This is a nice tournament, but our season is paramount, and that is something. So I, I think LAFC is going to be well-equipped to do that. In a tournament format, you just don't know what can happen. You get a bad matchup, you get a bad day, it happens. So I think five games for LAFC, great stuff. Let's get cracking on the next thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it this way. Do you consider yourself a top? Tier top five team in the league. Well, if that's the case, then the semifinals has to be your goal at least. Okay. Look from from the semifinals, we know semifinals can be tight. Uh, it's that a- added you know weight on your shoulders because you could possibly be in a final. LaFC is kind of starting to go through the ringer of playing in matches. Again, matches a consequence where they can draw on those experiences. Um, five matches, I think, is pretty good. But I, I think I'd say one further. I think you you have to you have to make it to the semifinals. And then from there, I think, look, luck is going to play a factor no matter what in these knockout stages, but one, you got to get through, you got to, you can only take them one at a time, right? You got to get through the group stage, 16 teams, make it through only 10 teams go out. There's no chance that LAC should be considered one of those bottom 10 teams. Um, And then from there, yeah, you're going to have to get maybe a little bit of luck, but I still like, I like the cohesion, this team, you know, who knows what the draw is going to be for those knockout rounds or draw in quotations who knows how they're doing these things um yeah I just I just think if you're you're the type of team like LFC and you you really put a marker out there you got to almost look at it the way like Germany looks at a world cup they're like we're we should be going to the semifinals every year and then from there we let the chips kind of fall where they do
0: good stuff Vince uh this was a very uh this is a pod that I look at you know this is a turning of the page pod with what we were able to discuss with Will, and certainly with this tournament, a moment in time. And uh, we're ready to handle it for it. We're going to be here for, for you. We will talk about everything that's important to this club. But Vince and I's uh, specialty is the actual games. And now we have some games, and we will be digging in there for you as the best service possible, and we'll be along the ride as well. We have set the line at five and a half games for LAFC. It's for yeah. you gamblers out there.
1: All right. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't gamble. I don't, I don't gamble. gamble in that I don't even – I, asked,
0: I actually asked somebody, I go, if I wanted to, someone said, this is a, a can't, can't lose. I go, how would one do that? He goes, well, you have a bookie. I go, how does one obtain a bookie? It felt like a 12-layer process. I don't even know where to start.
1: Every time you were like, wait, now take me back to the first step of that thing, like each each step through. I go, can I give you $20 and you bet that
0: for me? He's like, no. I go, all right. He goes, that's just bad practice. All right, all right, all right.
1: You're like, what's I'll Venmo? See. And what's Bitcoin? What's all these things I've been hearing about? <laughs>
0: I will stay away for now, but I will, I will, I'm all in on this tournament. I know you are Vince, please subscribe, rate, review our podcast. Uh, We appreciate everyone listening and people really enjoyed the Bradley Wright Phillips podcast. I know you'll enjoy this and we will certainly have a lot of great guests moving forward. Thank you, Vince. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Yep. Talk to you soon, Max. Bye everybody.